0: Alrighty, here we go. So, my name is Greg, if I haven't met you, and um, today we are kicking off something new. So, how many of you don't enjoy being around a very boastful person? Hey? Even if that person, in fact, especially if that person is a Christian, someone who, um, you know, they, they, there's quite a, a boast about what they're doing for God, or there is um, their calling or their destiny, even if what they're saying is true, even if it's for God, It's very off-putting when people boast, isn't that so, when there's an arrogance. So we're going to see something about that in just a little while. We're kicking off today with a series on the life of Joseph. How many of you love Joseph's story? It's a fascinating story. It's one of my favorites in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at three snapshots of Joseph's life, this Sunday and the next two Sundays to follow. So today we're looking at puffed-up prophet, next week it'll be patient prisoner, and it'll be gracious covenant for the final week, all right? And another reason why we're looking at his life is because Joseph is a type of Christ, okay? So in other words, when we speak of types, we're speaking about a person or a thing in the Old Testament um, that, that points ahead to a person or thing in the New Testament. Is that okay? So in other words, if Joseph is a type of, of Christ, his life points ahead to the life of Jesus. Does that make sense, okay? And in fact, some say that Joseph is the greatest type of Christ in the Old Testament. There are so many similarities in Joseph's life that points ahead to the life of Jesus. We're going to look at that. So we're going to, even as we read today, why don't you keep an eye out for them? You'll see them as we go. You can pick up on them, and uh, we'll talk about them a little later on. We're not going to cover them all today, and we'll look at the significance too of what it points to in Jesus' life. All right. So are you ready? Ready to dive in? Okay. Now. Joseph's story covers about 14 chapters in Genesis. We're not going to cover 14 in three weeks, believe me. Just snapshots. But let's start at the beginning today. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 11. Genesis 37, verses 1 to 11. You can follow in your Bibles. Um, It's too much, unfortunately, to put on the screen behind me. They're big chunks of text. So uh, either follow in your Bible or or you can listen. I'm reading from the, the latest version of the NIV. All right, Genesis 37, 1 to 11. This is the account of Jacob's family line, starting from verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made, him an, or- he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. All right, just an amazing tension created right from the start. And you can see there's some pretty toxic family relationships. All right, let's look at the characters, beginning with Jacob, the father. All right, so if you go back up the family tree for these guys, you'll see that there was a history of favoritism. All right, you'd have hoped that Jacob would have learned his lesson, but he didn't. He just continued this thing of favoritism. So he'd loved Rachel more than Leah. And uh, he now seemed to love this son. This was Rachel's firstborn son more than any of his other sons. It would have been one thing if he kept it to himself, you know. Just in his heart, he thought, oh, that's actually my boy, key. I like him more, you know. But he made no attempt whatsoever to hide the fact that he loved this boy more than the rest. And what he did is, as we read, he gave everyone a visual reminder of the fact that this was his boy key. Okay, I'm wearing one of my brightest shirts, I thought, today. All right. He gave them, he gave Joseph a robe. This ornate robe, as we read in the NIV. And uh, the ESV calls it a, a robe of many colors. It was a visual reminder. to Every time they saw it, they were reminded, this guy is the favorite, okay? And um, because the Hebrew wording is a bit unclear, we're not sure quite what it was about this, this garment that set it apart from the, the, the clothing the other brothers were wearing. But this is the thing. It's not a case of Jacob going down to uh, Edgar's and buying the most expensive shirt he could find for Joseph and then swinging past the, uh, the local flea market and buying some good third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh-hand clothing for the rest of the boys. That's not what this is about. It's about what it symbolized. It's about what it symbolized. So this robe that Joseph was wearing was a status symbol, you might say. It was something that indicated he had a favorite position. In fact, it might even indicate that in Jacob's eyes, the father's eyes, he actually had authority even over his brothers. He was wearing something that A firstborn son, for example, might have worn, and obviously he was very far from being the firstborn. Okay, so can you see it? So it's the message it conveyed to everyone in terms of what it meant to wear this thing. So J.H. Selheimer writes this. He says, Jacob's preferential treatment of Joseph was the central problem that initiated the action of the story, for it angered Joseph's brothers and turned them against him. Okay? The way I see it, without... The father's preferential treatment, Joseph would just have been another irritating little brother, okay? But because his father favored him openly, it got the other brothers to turn against. They hated Joseph, okay? And it started the whole thing as we got the whole ball rolling over here. And I think parents and grandparents here today a great reminder to us. You see the damage that this favoritism opens up. And we've got to be so careful with our kids, with our grandkids, that we don't show favoritism like this. Amen. Isn't it true? Amen. Is that a whole lot of guilty silence? I'm Yeah. Amen. All right. Let's have a look at Joseph, at the apple of his eye, Joseph. So Kay Strassner writes this. He says, Joseph comes across as a spoiled, arrogant know-it-all in 37, 5 to 11. So that might be putting a bit strongly. You know, the interesting thing is some have pointed out, that the Bible doesn't name, expressly name, any specific sin that Joseph committed. So in that way, his life is similar to Jesus. There's no express sin mentioned. But I don't know about you, when I read these opening verses of his story, you get the feeling he's not Mr. Innocent. Isn't that so? You know, there's there's something more going on over here, okay? Now, firstly, we read in verse two that he brought his father bad reports about his brothers. Now, in our country, uh, we celebrate whistleblowing, don't we? If someone exposes corruption, we are very excited and very happy, and we applaud that. It. It's one thing when whistleblowing happens out there. It's another thing when whistleblowing happens in a family. Eh? Difference. So I didn't have any brothers sisters. I'm an only child, but I had a whole lot of cousins growing up. I was one of the older cousins, and so sometimes we'd be playing, and then one of the younger cousins, one in particular, um, would often go with the bad report to our parents. All right. Usually it was justified. We had treated her... Um, She's actually a wonderful young woman now. We treated her unfairly very often, you know, and so she felt she had no other option but to go and tell on. All right? Now, even if it was justified, let's be honest, if you can relate to this in your family, it wasn't always warm feelings towards the snitch, the tattletale, the one that had gone and got you in trouble with your parents. Isn't that so? Isn't that so? So we can be quite confident that Joseph's brothers were not too happy with him about this bad report that he'd taken to his father. But, of course, the last straw for them were the two dreams that uh, Joseph had, these dreams that he came and sold them. I'm going to say more about those dreams right at the very end, but just a few things up front around this. Some people, as I was studying for this, some people come across with this kind of idea that we can't be really sure if these dreams are from God, to which I want to say, seriously? Really? Are you being serious here? Okay. I mean, of course these dreams were from God. These were prophetic dreams. These were dreams that were fulfilled. The brothers would indeed bow down before Joseph. We'll see that in, uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So they were prophetic dreams from God, all right? And uh, now this is the thing, okay? Even before Joseph had the dreams, we read in verse 4 that his brothers hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So things were really toxic, okay? It wasn't good at all, all right? And uh, you've got to think that as he's parading around in his technicolor dream coats, surely he's got to pick up the vibes. I mean, surely, he's 17, he has to be aware that these folks hate his guts, all right? So this brings me then to a key question, Okay? Why on earth did Joseph decide to share his dreams with his brothers? Not just one, but both of them, okay? I mean, just think about it, and we're going to go through it now as well. Let's look at this together. He goes anyway, and he shares this first dream with them. Now, think about this. The dreams that uh, Joseph interpreted later on, the dreams of the cupbearer, the baker, and the two dreams of Pharaoh, um, he interpreted them obviously with God. Those were more higher grade dreams, weren't they? They were far more complex. You know? No one could understand them. No one interpreted them but Joseph with um, the help of God. But these dreams are so clear. Even the brothers know what's going on. Okay? I love the way the message puts it in uh, chapter 37, verse that says, His brothers said, So you're going to rule us, you're going to boss us around. And they hated him more than ever because of his dreams and the way he talked. I like the way Eugene Peterson captures that last, but it's not only the dreams, it's the way he talked, the way he must have communicated it to them. So here he is, wearing this garment that probably was worn by royalty. That's the kind of thing. It's just what it conveys. And he marches up to his brothers and tells them effectively, I'm going to rule over you. Okay. Now, I don't know. again, think of families with a whole line of brothers. I didn't have that, but maybe you you come from and you know that. Okay. If you've got a whole line of brothers and one of the youngest ones, the pipsqueak, Comes to his older brothers, and some of them were fully grown men, eh? Comes to them and says, I'm going to rule over you effectively. How well is that going to go down in most families? Some families, the young, the little pipsqueak would have walked away with some Irish sunglasses, you know what I'm saying? Two black eyes, you know? It wouldn't have gone well. wouldn't have ended well for him, okay? So, let me ask you this as well. Have you ever had to give a talk, you're delivering a speech, and uh, you've got a funny joke or a story that you share, hoping to get some good laughs, and it goes down like a lead balloon? Anyone ever had that before? even happens when you're preaching sometimes, okay? And so now here's the thing, is when, you, when this happens, even on your feet, you're kind of like, okay, that didn't go so well, so now you quickly, okay, I better adjust that, or maybe you shouldn't share that. So you're thinking on your feet. I've heard of stand-up comedians, Christian stand-up comedians, saying that when they're telling stories, or they're kind of reading the crowd, they're assessing the crowd, they're seeing how different things go down, and that, that kind of dictates what they share, what jokes they tell, what stories they tell, okay? So here's the thing. Joseph shares his first dream, okay, with his brothers. How well does it go down? Forget about a lead balloon. It goes down like an atomic bomb. They just hate him even more, okay? It's growing hatred here, all right? So what does he do? Now he has a second dream. Wouldn't you think that he kind of takes stock and thinks, okay, that first dream really didn't go down well. Best I just keep this one to myself. Let me just hold this back. I'll just hold on to it in God. One day I'll share it with them. Okay. No, not Joseph. What does he do? Marches up in his Technicolor coats and goes and announces it to the brothers and to his dad. Now, his dad did rebuke him. That I I pictured like this. I picture his dad openly rebuking him in front of the brothers. But we also read that his father kept the thing in his heart. So he took it it to mind. eh? I think it was. Yeah, took it to mind. In other words, this is what I picture, is that the father, Jacob, is speaking out. No, that's wrong. Wrong, my boy. But in his heart, he's thinking, oh, daddy's little prince. Go, my boy, you know? He's got this thing in here, okay? Conflicted again. This is his favorite kind of rooting for him on the inside. But the brothers are not impressed. And we see his jealousy as well. Not only they hate him, they're jealous of him. All right? Talk about not reading the crowd, friends. Not reading the crowd at all. I mean, it's just why go and share the second dream with already hate-filled brothers. They hate you. Now you're going to tell them this. Perhaps he was silly. Perhaps he was naive. Perhaps he was a little immature at 17. I think it was more than that. I do think today's message title is puffed-up prophets. I think Joseph was a little puffed up, a little full of himself, just going and rubbing his brother's noses in it again a second time, okay? And uh, some boastfulness mixed in, I think, with those motives. Let's just put it that way. So if I just to sum up the roles of the father and the son, this is how I read it. Okay, I'd put it to you like this. Jacob openly treated Joseph as his favorite son, and Joseph openly behaved like the favorite son, okay? It's bad enough. His father saying, effectively, he has my favorite. But Joseph also rubbed it in. He behaved like the apple of his father's eye, okay? And so we move on to the older brothers. Three times in these opening verses, we read that they hated him, okay? We're not talking about just a little rough patch, a little bit of sibling rivalry, a little bit of time where some siblings don't get on. They hated him, and it was a growing hatred that we read of as well, okay? And they were jealous of him, and this hatred and jealousy would spur them on to do something drastic that we're gonna read about now. So let's turn to Genesis 37, and we're gonna read from verses 12 to 28. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from you," the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found, found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. "'Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, "'but don't lay a hand on him. "'Reuben said this to rescue him from them "'and take him back to his father. "'So when Joseph came to his brothers, "'they stripped him of his robe, "'the ornate robe he was wearing, "'and they took him and threw him into the cistern. "'The cistern was empty. "'There was no water in it. "'As they sat down to eat their meal, "'they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites "'coming from Gilead. "'Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, "'and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt.' Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. All right. You can see how these two dreams had got under the brother's skin, eh? When they see Joseph coming, what do they say? They don't say, oh, look, here comes daddy's boy. Eh? No, no, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that dreamer. And their plan to kill him, if you look, the real motive behind it is, let's kill him and then we'll see what comes of those dreams of his. Eh? You can see how much it irked them. So it's bad enough that Jacob displayed favoritism as a father, openly displayed it. And uh, as we've seen, Joseph, I don't believe, was innocent either. I think we can agree on that there's no excuse for what the brothers did. They were a pretty cold-hearted bunch. I've got to say that to you, eh? I mean, they they take him, they plan to kill him, they throw him into the cistern, and uh, then we read they just calmly sit down and eat their food (laughs) while he's in a place with no food, no water, and uh, yeah, living large out there. Of these brothers, the one that kind of redeems himself the most is Reuben, the oldest brother, okay? We read that he's the one who plans to rescue Joseph, Plans to kind of sneak back and try and help him out. He's the one who says, no, 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 don't kill him. Don't kill him. Don't kill him. Just throw him into the system, okay? Wait. He must have left because, actually, I stopped at verse 28, but if you read verse 29, we read that he returned, Reuben returned, found the cistern empty, and then tore his clothes, okay? So he made an attempt. His plan was to sneak back and try to rescue his brother. And so some have said that whilst it's good, he did at least try to take a stand. He was the oldest son. He was in a position of leadership. He should basically have done more. He should have openly stood up for Joseph, not planned to try and sneak back later and rescue him. And uh, just while I'm at it to you, have got to laugh at Judah, eh? uh, the, other, the other brother who speaks up in this account. Judah effectively says this, hang on, boots, wait, 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 boys, wait, wait, wait. Let's not kill him, eh? Let's not kill him. I mean, he is our he is own flesh and blood. Let's sell him as a slave. I mean, what kind of family, eh? With, with uh, brothers like that, who needs enemies, eh? I mean, it's like, quite amazing. So anyway... So they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites, they carry him down to Egypt, where he is sold as a slave um, to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's garden. In fact, home groups this week, I'm actually keen to look at that passage just to actually work through that when Joseph in Potiphar's house. It's quite an amazing story, too. Anyway, the brothers go back to Jacob, their father, they con him into believing that his favorite son has been ripped apart, devoured, by a wild animal. Fascinating story, don't you think? I mean, it really is. So now let's turn to have a look at what it tells us about. Joseph as a type of Christ. And I'm working through a great list, just helpful similarities prepared by a guy called Andrew Bernhardt. And uh, we won't be able to look at all the New Testament scriptures. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly. We'll highlight some for you. All right, so here we go. How does Joseph's life point to Jesus? So both of them were beloved sons of their father. Um, Matthew 3, verse 17, the ESV, when Jesus is baptized, we read this. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased, okay? The father speaking over Jesus. Both of them were firstborn sons to their mothers. So Joseph was firstborn to Rachel. Jesus, of course, firstborn to Mary. Both of them, it was prophesied over them that they would be rulers. This came through in Joseph's two prophetic dreams that he received. And then there were many prophecies over Jesus' life, hundreds of years before he was born. has one example in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancients of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Amazing. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers. Jesus was sent by his father first to Israel. That's where his primary target was Israel. And then obviously the gospel would spread from there. Both the brothers of Joseph and the brothers of Jesus never really understood him. They rejected them, they mocked them, they uh, didn't believe. So we read this of John, in John chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. It says, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Okay. In Mark chapter 3, you read an account of Jesus' family going to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind, okay? So even there, you can see how Jesus' own brothers, his own family, were kind of against him. They didn't believe and didn't understand and saw much later who he was. Both Joseph and Jesus were sold for pieces of silver, 20 for Joseph, 30 for Jesus, okay? Now, if you look at them too, Reuben is the one who makes an attempt to save Joseph's life. Pilate is the one who makes an attempt to save Jesus' life. We read this in John 19 verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, and it goes on there, the rest of the story. But here's the thing. feeling is that both Reuben and Pilate, by virtue of their position, the authority they carried, they should have done a whole lot more to save Joseph and Jesus respectively. Now, I don't know about you, can I can imagine Joseph crying out, pleading for his life when his brothers overpowered him, when they threw him in that cistern, when his life was in the balance, and then when they hauled him out later on. Okay? The interesting thing is Genesis doesn't say a word about it. There's no mention. So in that way, again, it points ahead to the way that Jesus would suffer in silence. As was prophesied famously in Isaiah 53, verse 7, speaking of Jesus, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so He did not open His mouth. Both of them were stripped of their coats. The Roman soldiers took Jesus' tunic after He was crucified. And here's another one for you, okay? Joseph was effectively betrayed. He was sold out by Judah. Remember when they saw the Ishmaelites coming, Judah was the one that came up with the plan. Hey, let's sell him as a slave. Jesus was sold out and betrayed by Judas Iscariot. So here's the thing, okay? Judas is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Judah. So both Jesus and Joseph were effectively sold out by men with the same name. How's that for? That's one you can drop at the next bra you have, okay? Little piece of trivia. So much more we could say, and we are going to say a whole lot more over the coming weeks. But you can see, even this as a start. You can see how Joseph's love points ahead to Jesus. And we're going to continue to look at the significance of that. So let's have a look at some application. What is this saying to us today? I think already we can see we've spoken about the warning to us as parents, as grandparents, don't show favoritism amongst the kids and the grandkids. It just wreaks havoc, as this story shows us. But it also applies, friends, in the family of God. We've got to be so careful that we avoid favoritism, yeah, in the family of God. Amen? Okay? I want to shift the focus, though, onto these dreams that God gave Joseph, the two dreams that he had. Okay? We know they were from God. They were fulfilled. Um, At the end of the story, as I say, in two weeks' time, we're going to see his brothers bowing before him. But here's the thing. God gives us dreams, too. And I want to broaden this today. I'm not only speaking about dreams that you dream in the night while you're sleeping. Okay? Absolutely can be those. But I want to include things that are prophesied over your life, okay, where God speaks over your life through others. Um, It could be visions that God shows you too, even when you're awake. It could be the desires in your heart that match up with gifts that God has given you, a grace on your life. So I'm speaking about things that God has spoken over you. I'm putting it under the label of dreams, but can you see I'm making it as broad as I can, all right? One of the key things, the lessons this passage teaches us is be very careful who you share your dreams with. Okay, and how. I'll come on to that in a moment as well. But be very careful who you share your dreams with. So I'm not saying to you today, don't speak to anyone. Not at all. There are people we should share these dreams, broad category, dreams with. We want people to be standing with us in faith, praying for us, speaking life over those things, encouraging us when we're going through our challenging times. Okay, um, So not saying don't share it with anyone, but just be very careful who you do. And this is something that Jesus demonstrates for us. Jesus knew his life purpose but he kind of held it back eh, until the very end. Now, obviously, there were reasons why he couldn't just go and announce it to everyone. But even with his own disciples, Jesus left it as late as he could before he spoke to them. And sometimes he'd reveal it to very unlikely people like the woman at the well to say, I am the Messiah. And when Jesus told people that there was never a swagger, never, I'm the Messiah, you know, kind of, and just waiting for them to all collapse in front of him, that was never the thing. There was such humility. Unlike, as we said, Joseph, where it just looks like there was this pride laced in as he spoke about these dreams. We need to be wise and discerning about who we share our dreams with, because some people will attempt, I'm using the word attempt because they don't always get it right, but some will attempt to kill off our dreams. Some people will, okay? It could be because of jealousy, as was the case with Joseph's brothers. They wanted to kill it off because of the fact that they were jealous about what they just couldn't picture a situation, a, a, a future where they would be bound down to and being ruled over by their brothers. And so they literally tried to kill the dreams by killing Joseph, okay? Now, I'm not saying that, yeah, with most of us, that's not going to be the case, okay? More often than not, it's not people who are intentionally or purposefully trying to kill our dreams. They are doing it unintentionally. Could be well-meaning people, people who love us, but they just don't share the faith that we have to see those dreams fulfilled, okay? And so people might say things like this. It comes through the words they speak, words of criticism, of doubt, of uh, unbelief, words that, that mock even. And um, again, I want to say they don't have to be enemies. Eh? These can be people so close to us, people in our lives, friends, family, um, people who are mentors over us, etc. So this is the thing that I want to speak about. So people sometimes will say things like this. It will be, don't aim too high." Don't, don't set yourself up for disappointment. You know, you're not very good at speaking in front of other people. I don't know if you're clever enough to do X, Y, and Z. Can you see it? They've got their reasons. They're speaking from their own doubts and fears, but we've got to be so careful because that can undermine our own faith to see those things fulfilled. We, yeah, so let me put it this way. Okay, now, here comes the truth. In, there's always truth in tension, okay? We also need people to speak truth and love into our lives. Okay? Sometimes if I've got grandiose delusions, I need a reality check from God, and it might come through one of my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what I'm saying? We need people to speak truth in love. What I'm talking about is the situation where God is holding out a dream to us and someone is coming to undercut it through, like I say, their own lack of faith, their own doubts, etc. All right? Where God is saying you can and someone saying no, you can't, and they're giving me their reasons again why they think I can't. Can you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. Okay? We've got to be careful. The bottom line, if you just remember one thing, remember this. Be careful who you share your dreams with, and when you share them, share them from a place of humility, not a swagger, not an arrogance. It's God, ultimately, who is the one who brings dreams to pass. And that's the encouraging thing today. People can try. Here's another one. People, but circumstances. I was thinking about this yesterday. We're living in times where so many people, even our own nation, but not only our own nation, the nations of the world are living in a place of hopelessness. More than ever before. I really, honestly, for more than for a long time, There's a real sense of hopelessness. And sometimes, friends, the enemy can use circumstances to throttle the life out of the dreams God's given us. So whether it be people, whether it be circumstances, one of the most encouraging things that you're going to see from Joseph is he just continued to serve God faithfully, to walk with God, and God is the one who brought those dreams to pass in spectacular fashion. Okay, we're going to see that even from next week. All right, here's the thing. Joseph was thrown into that system. His life was in the balance. He was hauled out to be a slave, okay, to be sold as a slave. But here's the thing. I think when that happened, Joseph's dreams remained behind in the system. They remained buried behind him. Now I want to show you why, okay? Have a look at the name Joseph gives to his firstborn son. We read in Genesis 41, verse 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. Joseph, friends, had put his trouble behind him. He'd, especially now, this is where he's come into the place now with Pharaoh, a place of favor. He's got, he's got sons. His firstborn son reflects that Joseph has put all of this past behind him, including his own family. And if he'd put his family behind him, I think we can be pretty sure he'd put those dreams behind him as well. Okay? In the next chapter, Joseph's brothers arrive in Egypt to come and buy food. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. Okay? They bow down before him and read these verse, with these words in Genesis 42, verse 9. Then he remembered his dreams about them. Okay? He remembered his dreams about them. I'm not saying today that Joseph's memory was wiped out. There may well have been times as he sat in prison, and even as he walked around the palace of Pharaoh, where he thought back to those dreams. And I think when he thought back, he probably thought, yes, did I miss it? I mean, you must understand where Joseph ended up was so far removed from his brothers. He put them behind him. There's no ways I think Joseph could ever possibly see, foresee Those dreams being fulfilled. Are you with me? Okay? They were in the past. They were behind him. Okay? And this is the thing, friends, is that if you get that picture, it's almost like Joseph left the system that day, but his dreams stayed behind. He put them in the past. And I believe that today, and this is what I want to start off by praying for, I believe that today there are some God-given dreams that are lying in systems, where because of other people or because of circumstances, whatever it might be, you've left those things. You've forgotten them in the past. And I feel like God wants to bring some dreams. Back to remembrance today, okay? Not just when they come to fulfillment like it was for Joseph, but that he wants to remind you, get you to remember things, dreams he's given you, all right? Now, I'm not saying to you that tomorrow they're going to get fulfilled. That's not what we're saying. There can be a waiting period. We're going to look at that next week, all right? But what I am saying to you is that God wants to breathe life. He wants us to hold on because that's the whole point. He wants us to hold on to those dreams in faith and trust him, walk faithfully with him, and see those dreams come to pass. All right, So you with me? So would you bow your heads? I feel for some people here today, you may be saying, oh, I, I feel like I wish I had a dream. I don't feel like i got anything. So Lord, I want to pray that you would speak to us in dreams, and not just the dreams in the night, but speak to us as only you can. Stir in our hearts your dreams, your picture for our future, your destiny, your calling for us, Lord. And again, as we always say, this isn't just calling into ministry. This is calling in the fullest possible sense of the word. It's your plans for our lives. Would you speak them over us? Those today who are yearning and saying, God, I wish... I wish I could be like Joseph. I wish I could have something from you. Would you, Lord, in your perfect timing, would you speak your dreams over our lives in Jesus' name? But then, Lord, I want to pray for those today who, even as we sit here, and even now, I trust Holy Spirit, you're already beginning to remind us of dreams that we've left buried in our past, We've dreams we've put behind us. Lord, this is one thing we can take to heart from Joseph's life. Joseph's life, if we look at where he was going, it looks impossible for those dreams ever to be fulfilled. And yet, Lord, we see that you work at a totally different level. You are setting everything up, Lord God, and you at the right time brought those dreams to pass. I want to pray today, Lord, that you'd remind us of the dreams you've given us, of words that have been spoken of our lives, visions and prophetic words, dreams in the night. Even now, would you remind us today, Lord God, we want to, we want to dig them up. We want to pull them out of those systems where they've been lying buried. We ask today that you breathe life into them again. Give us hope and courage, even if it looks like Joseph, like our life is moving in the opposite direction. We trust you today. We trust you today, Lord. Even now, Holy Spirit, just come. Refresh our memories. Remind us. Breathe life again into these dreams. I'm just going to pause for a moment. We don't have to have anyone even praying out loud. I just would love it if you just sit with God and just, just let the Holy Spirit just come and breathe life into that which the Father has spoken over your life. Let's do that now. Thank you, Lord. Today, Lord, we hold on to these dreams again, these words, these pictures, whatever shape and form they've taken over our lives. We hold, them on to, we hold on to them again, and we lift them up to you in faith. And we thank you, Lord, that ultimately the fulfillment isn't up to us. We know only you, who can do all things, are able to bring some of these dreams to pass. But, Lord, we pray, even now we hold onto them, and we hold on to them in humility, Lord, recognizing that we're not the hero of our own story, but you always will be. Thank you, Lord, that you graciously help us to walk in humility and in faith, and in full of hope, to hold on to these dreams in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask you to open your eyes. You can look at me for a minute again, and we're going to have some more prayer in a moment. But I want to just lead in with this quickly. Jacob sent Joseph to his brothers, who they thought were grazing the flocks near Shechem. The father was concerned to see how the other boys were doing. He, he wasn't all bad, okay? Um, and so they go, go to Shechem. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 34, Shechem was the place where some of Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, had gone in and they had wiped out the men of the town. They would plundered the place. Um, It was to uh, avenge their sister. And um, so just to say this, that probably for the people of Shechem, the boys of Jacob wouldn't exactly have been the most welcome visitors, okay, if you follow where I'm going. But at the end of the story, we see at the end of the day, it's not so much actually the people of Shechem. The threat came from Jacob's own sons who turned on their brother. Again, if you look at... Joseph's life pointing ahead to Jesus. God the Father sent His Son into the world, to a world that was going to be hostile. There wasn't a risk or a potential of hostility. There was full-on hostility. The Father and the Son knew what was going to happen. Sending Jesus to a world where He would ultimately be rejected and where He would suffer and die so that we could be saved. And just with that, that full view of Jesus again, and just the mercy, the grace, the love of God that we sang about today, what if you just bow your heads again? And maybe today you're in that place of, You may never have come to a place of bowing the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, never calling on Jesus to save you. Or perhaps you once walked with God, but you just feel in your life you've wandered away. You've been trying to do it all on your own, trying to get there on your own. And uh, just actually today, even just on that note, we had just a wonderful encouragement again about how God never leaves us. The Holy Spirit is always with us. He never gives up on us. And. I just want to pray for you today. If you're in that place of either you've never called on Jesus to save you or you want to return home to the Father again today, would you pray this prayer and mean it with all of your hearts as we pray together and say, Jesus Christ, I call on you to save me. Thank you that you came into this world to suffer and die in my place. I confess I've sinned against you, God. Today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Thank you that today you welcome me into your family. I am yours, Lord God, and I will follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. I pray this now in your mighty name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're in this place today and you pray that prayer, we're going to stay in this attitude of prayer with heads bowed, eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer today, the Bible speaks of a witness, and I'd love I'm not going to call you up front, but I'd love it if you just raise your hand so I could witness with you. Anyone who prayed that prayer, with me as we pray. Just love it if you'd stick your hand high in the air so that I can see, can witness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray for every single precious person who has called on you today. And we thank you that your word, not me, your word makes it clear that all who call on the name of the Lord are saved. That's what your word says. And we thank you today for salvation. We thank you, Lord, for restoration. We thank you for recommitment. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill every one of these people that you would open up your word, make it alive to them, and thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for an unwavering faith and a walking with you as your disciple, Jesus, a following after you all the days of their life. We commit them to you now and pray for your presence with them in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And now uh, for everyone else, as we stay in this place of prayer, we're going to finish now. Also, a lovely word that came today again. Just reconfirms again, just something we've been feeling. God speak over us, which is His light just radiating into this house, shining in this place, and then going forth from here. And again, I want to say to you today, Jesus was sent into a hostile world that would kill Him. We sent into a hostile world. Thankfully, we don't have to face death at this stage as we journey forward as Christians. But friends, we're going to go to people who are not always happy to hear the message we carry, who may say no, who may reject what we offer them. But that cannot turn us away, friends. Even as, Stephen, as we pray today, we are carrying something that we can't keep to ourselves. There has to be a heart's desire to see this church and every church in our town full to overflowing with people who are responding to the good news of Jesus Christ, whose lives are being transformed and changed forever. So to all of us today, as we stand to our feet, let's stand right now if we can to our feet. If you're a believer, I'm asking you to stand today before God and say, Father, as you sent your son into this world, thank you that even this week you send me out into this community, into this town once again. And I want to say, Lord, that I'm available to you. I say I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous. I don't have everything to offer myself, but you do, Lord God. You are the source. You are the one. You are the answer, Jesus. And so today, Lord, I want to pray that you would help me, even if it's one person this week, even if it's one, but I want you to lead me, Lord, into, I want you to send me into this week, even if it's that one person, Lord, and then you would help me with the words, with the prayers, the ministry, whatever it is, Lord, you would help me to be able to associate, to be salt and light to make a difference by your grace in someone else's life. And so we all say together, send us, Lord. Would you send us into this week, we pray. We go with you, with your presence, with your blessing, in the power and the authority of your name, Jesus. We go for you. Thank you, Lord. We pray this now. Now, thank you, Lord, as we stand before you. I speak your blessing over every one of us. I speak the favor of God. Thank you for the open heaven over our lives. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us and protects us. Thank you, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love. We pray, Lord, that we would know the presence of your Holy Spirit with us, not just now, but as we go into this week. We go commissioned by you. And thank you, God, that we would have the joy, the privilege, the honor of having you minister through us this week into lives that are desperate and broken. We pray for this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. And we all said amen and amen.